Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Gordo. You're listening to Those Conspiracy Guys. And this is a little interview slash swap cast with the man himself, uh, Kevin Long. You would never have heard of him. He's traipsing around the streets of Munich, pointing out Hitler shit all over the place. Uh, and we managed to find him through a, a tour booking. I was like, show me, show me them Hitler goods, Munich. And uh, lo and behold, this Claire man loomed over the horizon uh, with a head full of facts and uh, we ended up chatting, and you know the way the Irish lads do, whenever we find each other, we're all like, how'd you get here? Do you have any jobs going? And uh, I ended up saying, look, do you want to come and join us for for a chat about Hitler? And he was, and he fucking nearly took the hand off me. So we're chatting with Kevin in a beer garden, in the middle of München, uh, people all around, so you'll hear the sights and, see- and sounds and smells of the city. So excuse the audio quality, because we were flying by the seat of our trousers. Uh, I do apologise for the lack of quote-unquote real episodes right now but we are on uh, a trip around Europe for those that are not in the know uh, gathering up all these videos interviews uh, podcasts swapcasts and a little kind of mini docs as well as first-hand research into a bunch of stuff that's coming up in season eight and season nine uh, including more Nazis a World War II series standalone World War II series ancient European history we're talking a thousand, twelve hundred years ago. I want to do an episode on Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, we're going to do one on the Medici's Whopper. Uh, I'm actually preparing right now in a hotel room in Barcelona to do an interview slash swap cast uh, with a man who's an expert on Catalonian history, which is amazing. And uh, yeah, Europe is opening itself up like a flower to me here. Having a really good time, learning all this new stuff and getting to meet these people. Uh, and this is one of those this is Kevin Long, uh, who's a tour guide in Munich, an expert in uh, Nazi history, early Nazi history. And uh, if you want to get in touch with Kevin, it's kevilong at hotmail.com. I'll say it again at the end if you miss it. And uh, if you have anything you want to say to me, we're on all the social media. Send me an email, info at those conspiracy guys. And if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, patreon.com slash those conspiracy guys. That's it for me. I hope you enjoyed this little episode. And reach out to Kevin and tell him if you like it. Please do. He's dying to hear from you. Okay, here's the Swapcast. Goodbye. Hitler, Roswell, JFK, Cryptozoology and NSA, Global Woman and a Living Government Lies. Just tell them all about it, those conspiracy guys.
Hello! We're coming live from Munich town, Germany. And joining me after a, a foot-blisteringly long but awesome uh, tour, walking tour of Munich, uh, I have Kevin Long uh, out in the beer garden here. Where are we, Kevin? We're at the Park Café. Park Café, the former... The former SS Gentleman's Club, which was founded in 1937. And we were inside, and it still smells like Bavarian strippers, I have to say. It is, there's a distinct uh, uh, stench of uh, want, <laughs> or as we know it in German, uh, Möchte. <laughs> just, just bang a Möchte off the place. So, Kevin, you're a, a tour guide in, in, in Germany, in Munich. Tell us how you get here. I am indeed, yes. I mean, very by chance, should be told. So, I mean, I, I, I studied history and economics back in, uh, back in UL, back in the University of Limerick. And I finished that in 2013. Now, initially, my first summer in Munich was in 2012. And what happened there with that was I, I was looking for somewhere to go for the summer. And, uh, for the ride? Well, for the ride, the ride and the experience and the crack. And sure. so, to see what was out there, but mainly for the ride, naturally. And you wanted to see if your time in Limerick drinking beer was transferable with credits over to Germany. Sadly, version. it wasn't. It wasn't. Right. It wasn't, sadly. But that's, we, we, we figured that out eventually over time. And I came out and issued one lad from college and we worked in a beer garden. It's called the Chinese Tower Beer Garden. It's one of the second biggest in the world, actually. It's right bang in the middle of the, the park in Munich called the English Garden. And we worked there for the summer and I poured beer and there's about 40 Irish students. And we ended up having one of those amazing summers of like a coming of age movie. And then I went back and I finished a degree and like After, American, American pie job. A, bit, a little bit like that. So how we used to work. Just with more uh, quickly. So how we used to work. Pretzels. We used to have. So we used to, we work in the beer garden. A lot of us. We work 12, 13 hours. And we go drinking out there most nights. And we were all staying at a place called The Tent. Which was initially started as an outdoor youth hostel for the 72 Olympics. So to kind of paint the picture, if you will. You had a series of marquee tents. Circus tents, so to say. And a few of them had bunk beds. And then all the Irish. We had a bunch of blankets. And we slept on the floor. We paid about seven euro a night for the privilege. And the place mysteriously smelled like the sea. It smelled, it smelled very similar to the inside of the Park Cafe, actually. It got a kind of want. <laughs> the bang of That want and the desire and, and the mishta for mishta that, yeah. that you can't really find anywhere else. Uh, you can find it in some places you if you can, look hard enough. You can, there's a, there's a distinctive smell over there. And there was know? a lot of people came over from lots of places all over there the world, right? All over Ireland. So you, 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 there was a bunch of girls from Trinity. There was, there was lads from UC, uh, UCC, there was a few from Galway. And... We, had, we just had a great summer and then I went back and finished the degree and after finishing that I kind of said to myself, well listen, I don't really know what I want to do, but I, I kind of knew myself I didn't want to you know, go down a career for the sake of it, so yeah. I said, listen, we'll go back to Germany, we'll see what it's like and if it works out great, if it doesn't, you know, it's not like you're stuck out in New Zealand, it's, it's yeah. only a two and a half hour flight home and it did, it worked out. So uh, shortly after joining, I eventually became a tour guide, I kind of fell into that as well. Uh, started that and I, I just took to it, I enjoyed it. Uh, Seemed like an entertainer. It, well, I, I suppose Enjoy I always it, was. Yeah. I always was a bit of a class clown in school, you know. And, and I really, what happened there was, I had the, the background in history, and I started it, and I just enjoyed it, and I took to it really like kind of like a duck to water. And for me as well, like I remember early on when I soon enough after I started, I kind of I just said to myself, listen, if you're going to do this, you might as well try and be the best that you can do, even if you're going to go do it for a year or two. Now, granted, it's been six years of tour guide, which I never expected, but. I said, listen, if I'm going to do it, let's do it properly. So I, I invested myself in learning as much as I could. And like, with regards to, for example, a lot of the Nazi history, I mean, I, I had a background in it already. I'd studied you know, a bit of that, quite a bit of that at college and yeah. most other things. And I saw half of that I knew. So in a way, I was, I was ahead of the curve to begin with. And then I kind of dedicated myself over the first year or two to really learning as much as I know and, and becoming an expert on Munich. And then from there, 
you know, in the last year and a half, I've become a freelance tour guide and I'm doing a lot, much wider variety of tours. I'm doing day trips to Nuremberg. Tomorrow I go down to the Neuschwanstein Castle, the famous Disney castle. And yeah, we, I saw the tour of that. There was like 450 euros to, to bring somebody down there for the day. And you're like, do you fucking give them a blow in the back of the bus or something? Like, what the king, fuck are you doing? King Ludwig does. The, the, the king himself does. Yeah, yeah they it's like a, a nine-story castle on the top of like a, 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 like a basalt, essentially, yeah. a basalt fucking pillar yeah. out in the middle of the thing. Yeah. And there's two, there's one at, what's it called? Neuschwanstein. Neuschwanstein, and there's another one that begins with L. Linderhof. Linderhof, he didn't finish. No, Linderhof, he did finish. Right, right, right. That was the only one he did finish. He also did another one called Heron Keemsley, which was to be a model on the Palace of Versailles. Right. And the Hall of Mirrors there is actually three meters longer than the one in the Palace of Versailles. That's the fellow with the fucking short penis complex. Exactly. Well, he he was an interesting character, but... The funny thing is, he had vision. He was the mad Ludwig, He right? He was mad Ludwig, yeah. But Ludwig had vision because, you know what? While he was despised at the time, he's now the most celebrated king. And it's because of one wonderful concept known as tourism. Right. It's now the most visited building in all of southern Germany. So let's uh, let's see how people think about Donald Trump in two or three hundred years' time when possibly, people are visiting Trump possibly. Tower and just being like... <laughs> Here we have the famous Trump Tower. At the time, it was garish and kind of reviled. Uh, it was a testament to his own ego. But do you know what? It's fucking lovely. Uh, I think that could happen. Yeah, it could well happen. It the mad, well happen. mad King Donald. Um, so you you uh, were a history major. I was, yeah. I was. For all the Americans. I think. Yeah. And what was your favorite part of history studying? My favorite part of history was probably was probably the later modern period. Okay. So I'd say from kind of 1800s. 1800 up to up to kind of 90 1950 but i would say more specifically i'd say more focus really on the first hundred years rather than the second 50 for my personal interest and so far as i always had more of an interest a little bit more of an interest in world war one than i had necessarily in world war two um because i was always of the opinion that you couldn't really understand world war two without understanding world war one you also couldn't really understand world war one without understanding the french revolution napoleonic wars and the link between them all so i think there's massively complicated geopolitical uh, stuff hugely so hugely there's stuff that's left out like the economic machinations of a a brand new america yeah uh, and england that's maybe trying to wind down a really vast and overspread imperialist while keeping as much power as possible exactly so so they're all looking at germany who's just like to be honest and i say on the show like a joke like like germany didn't really do a whole lot wrong apart from the whole you know killing uh, people that shouldn't be killed or whatever like they had it really sewn up and these americans and english i think we're a little bit jealous world war one as far as we learned in our uh monsanto episode and in big pharma we Mm -hmm. have done a couple episodes that World War One was really like a pharmaceutical war. It was to create the demand for antiseptic, which is just newly invented, and to take away the means of production for Germans uh, in creating these new pharmacological yeah. products that had yeah. never been on the market before. Yeah. And America's like, they're making a shitload of money off of yeah. this. How do we, first of all, disable them and then take over the production for ourselves? And with the move, movement of IG Farben into, into like Bayer and all mm-hmm. that stuff that are now quintessentially American companies, you can see that like it's a hundred year plan mm-hmm. to just take over ph- mm-hmm. pharmacology. So to understand stuff like that, you really have to know the, the hundred years before. Like, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, even, and even the period before that. Now, I think with World War One, I, I think, I, I definitely see your point there with regards to the pharmaceutical war. I would maybe more so it was more of an industrial war if which yeah. pharmaceutical was a large part of it. Yeah, I mean... You had a very strong yeah. German industry coming to the fore. And of course, the thing is, Germany, 
let's say in the 50 years before World War One, Germany is very much a new player of Europe. You know, there is no Germany before 1871. You have a series of kingdoms, you have principalities. Mm. You know, by the time Germany is unified, you have actually 35 different states that all come together. Now, Germany, with regards to World War One, I, I think Germany's problem was there was they, they kind of overextended themselves a little bit. And Bismarck, Bismarck, when he unifies Germany, it's not really unification. It's kind of a conquest. Now, Bismarck was a very clever man. And, of course, he provokes the French into declaring war. And he, you have the Franco-Prussian War. And Berlin is, 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 is eventually takes over Paris. You know, Paris is taken by the Germans. Yeah. The German Empire is declared at Versailles. Now, Bismarck, if Bismarck is still alive, if Bismarck is immortal, I think everything would have worked out fine. Because yeah. he had, he was a very good diplomat. And his handle on it. He had his handle on everything, you know. But Bismarck made the fatal mistake of aligning himself with Austria in 1879. And that, I think, was, then from then onwards, then everything kind of gets, gets kind of set in stone slowly, you know. Because Germany is very conscious of an Austrian-Russian war. And the reason was this. Bismarck was from Prussia. Prussia was, you know, modern-day northern Poland, a little part of Russia that, that is, or that is, that is in the middle of Europe, uh, northern, you know, n- northeastern Germany, Berlin, the capital, whatever. And there was Protestant Prussia, and they held the power. They controlled the army. They controlled all the government jobs. And the rest of Germany was really, in many ways, uh, kind of second, second in the line to, to Prussia. Prussia's needs were German needs, essentially. Germany's oriented around Prussia. And he was worried, essentially, that if Russia was to declare war in Austria, the, the Russians could win. And if the Russians win, more than likely, your Austrians would have moved into Germany. And the problem was, you would have had about 8 million Catholics moving into Germany. And all of a sudden, your balance of power is totally changed. Yeah. And your, your voting changes, and your, your, your parliament changes. And Bismarck would not have been able to keep Prussia to the forefront. Germany would have become a more a probably more unified concept and it would have been less centralized around Prussia and, and, and more so around the south of the country and the west of the country. Because the reality of it is, the wealth in Germany during this time, during the early days of the German Empire and up until World War One, was very much in the west of the country, around the Rhineland. That's where all your major industries were. Yeah. That's where your steel and coal was. And the money that's been extracted from there is going filtering over to Berlin. Because East Prussia at this stage, in Prussia at this stage in the 1850s, you have the Ostflut, which is essentially the, the eastern migration where you have about 200,000 people a year leaving from, you know, what is East Prussia, East Germany, into the Rhineland in particular. And they settled in towns like Dortmund and Gelsenkirchen. And these are big industrial towns. And it was 200,000 a year for about 10 years before it was finally put to a stop. And in many ways, the same thing cropped up again in East Germany. That's why the wall goes up. That was a big thing that I felt from our tour, that um, parallels that you were drawing, like pre-war and post-war. It seems like west and east germany have always kind of been split and what i wanted to say to you on the tour when you asked any questions i was like i'm fucking wrecking this lad's jaws and all these americans are like my feet hurt <laughs> sydney can we go like it was a little you know i didn't want to be annoying you yeah but it felt like that maybe pre-war like post-world war one that east germany was kind of more punished than west and definitely after world war ii because the east were more in support of the nazi party mm-hmm. they were definitely like exorcised yeah in a in a, a kind of a new division of germany back to the old way uh before unification mm-hmm. uh, and they just left the east to be swallowed up by the soviets mm-hmm. and like poor infrastructure poor mm-hmm. there's an ambulance sorry right in the open uh, poor, in, poor infrastructure poor uh, uh you know industry like it was all it, nothing was available you were queuing up for shit like you know typical Soviet stuff but I think that was exacerbated too because there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of industry in, in, in Prussia to begin with yeah you had a massive you had a massive landowning class um, called the Junkers 
and you gotta understand too with, with, with like the settlement in East Prussia it, it was never really you know your kind of your, your your historical vision of Germany will say during the like the Charlemagne era and all of the great and all these various kind of you know uh, German emperors in, in, in the you know from 800 up until about 1400 your typical Germany was it wasn't it wasn't that far east you know, there were settlers that went in during the Teutonic Knights, you know, the times and they came in and essentially military forces that came over and they conquered it. And you eventually, you end up, you have this massive landowning class and you have, you have, also the population is not entirely German. It's about 50-50 between the Germans and the Polish. And the, and Polish, the Polish have that, have that kind of history of being passed around like a bitch like, in prison. Totally, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. You know, the Swedish came down and yeah. the Nazis were around, yeah. the Russians were around. Yeah. Even Austro-Hungarian Empire yeah. like took all that shit. Yeah. So they never really had that identity. And we were in Auschwitz uh, like last week, and uh, the Polish guy that was bringing us around, like really wanted to make a point of the fact that it was like uh, this: these were German camps on Polish soil, and that we don't want them called Polish. And Poland was only in 1989 made a real country. Like it's still raw for them. It's still raw. It's still it's it's very raw. And there's we were in Berlin there, and then on the east side of Berlin, like you walk across two streets. And it changes from east to west, like mm-hmm. visibly, mm-hmm. financially, physically, yeah. like you can feel it in the air yeah. that it's different. Like that's a huge division that still resonates like 70 years ago. Hugely so, I mean, but even... even The even, checkpoint charity mentality. Like. Even even so, even today, for example, I mean, when, when Germany was unified in 1990, there was a tax brought in. It was mm. the reunification tax. And it was two and a half percent. It was meant to last for three years. It's still in place. Sure. It's still in place. You know, and that's, that's a tax that comes from old West Germany that goes towards... The betterment of East Germany, and again, so I like to I like to make the comparison. For example, and we're both Irish, and when you go, soon as you cross the border into Northern Ireland, yeah, you know straight away it's different. Yeah, it, you and, get book fast for six pounds. Yeah, well, it, but it even looks That's different as well. It it, it, it does. doesn't it doesn't look what you're kind of used to, we'll say, in in in, in the Republic, and it's very same when you go so to East Germany. Lads with ascots and fucking yeah. tweed waistcoats, yeah. lovely shiny buttons and. Like the the walking sticks with the roundy tops to yeah. to bait tides with them. <laughs> like it is very different. It is completely different. But even the architecture, the way they have all the purely manicured gardens and all yeah. this stuff, it's a very a very um, British kind of aesthetic. Very much so. Here in Munich, I see that there's it's not as as it was in Berlin or even when we were traveling uh, from Berlin, we went to uh, uh, Oshbuchim and then to Vienna mm-hmm. and then across Vienna, Salzburg and then into yeah. Munich. So like. It's more like a Salzburg type of it architecture. Is, it is very much so. Very I mean, Austrian architecture. Munich, I mean, Munich, Munich, Munich results. The thing is, too, in Germany, I mean, because in Germany you have you have so many you have so many states that were independent for such a long time mm. that the, the culture of Berlin is very different to Cologne, which is very different to Munich as well. You know, yeah. Cologne, for example, is very much influenced by the French, if only because of the fact that they're so close to the French border. There's a lot more influence there than you would have, say, in Munich or, 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 or Berlin. Munich's got a lot of influence with Italy. Yeah. The, the royal family in Munich, the von Wittelsbachs, actually married quite a few Italian duchesses and countesses, and that was very much the link into Munich. So you see a lot of Munich building-wise, architecturally, can look quite similar to Italy. But there's also a lot of that typical mountain architecture. You know, Munich is essentially the hills of the, of the Alps. Yeah. And it is, they very much identify as a mountain people, even in Munich, even though this is not a high elevation. I think we're only 600 and something odd meters above sea level, but it's right there. And it's, it's, it's always been Bavaria, Bavaria historically, which is the largest of the 16 states in, in, in Germany, it used to be a lot smaller. 
It used to be very much concentrated on mountain area. I mean, historically, the divisions, the border would have gone about 50 kilometers north of Munich. Yeah. During, let's say, the medieval ages and the early modern period. Now it's a lot bigger. Now it's the biggest state. But That's just urban sprawl. Like, there's more people here, so you need more space. Is that it? No, insofar as, well, that was that was with Napoleon. The territory was made a lot bigger. And I would have come to areas, would say, that would have historically not identified as Bavaria. Right, right. But now they are part of it. But within the city itself, there is there is there is urban sprawl, but Munich seems to have quite a grip on it. You know, they Munich is the size of a city. I mean, it's one and a half million people, which I quite like. I personally find it to be a good size of a city. Yeah, it's not. You know, it's 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 Dublin a, sized. Just Dublin sized, completely Dublin sized. You yeah. know, but I mean, it's it's Dublin sized in people. But Dublin, it's yeah, way, geographically way bigger. Right? Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's quite large. Exactly, it is. But Dublin too, you have a lot of concentration towards the city centre. Whereas yeah. here as well in Munich, you see, they actually have a rule in Munich. You have the cathedral is called the Frauenkirche, and it's ninety nine meters tall. And for centuries, they've said that no building is allowed to exceed that in the city. Was that the Ludwig lad who made that rule with the small dicks? No, dick? that was the Catholic Church who made oh, that okay. rule. They also small had small dicks as well. As well. Yeah, yeah, they did. They did. Have small dicks, love small dicks. <laughs> you know, it's all about dicks. And um, for Munich then as a city, like to modernize as it has, we were talking about Hitler on the tour. Like it got absolutely decimated during World War II because it was the cent- kind of the... I guess, what would you call it? The ideological center. Exactly, the symbolic of, heart, you could say. Yeah, yeah, yeah of, of national socialism. Mm-hmm. So, like, on your tour, you showed us a couple of, like, places that were bombed out and that were remade. And a very interesting thing that I did not know was that they kept the blueprints of München mm-hmm. and rebuilt it with the the, the money that mm-hmm. the Americans would give in for, mm-hmm. for, like, reformation. Yep. They rebuilt it identically to what it was before. Exactly. Like, that's amazing. It is. It is quite amazing and, qu- and quite unique within Germany. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of places that did that. Like, and why why do you think for something that was the ideal, ideological center of national socialism, <laughs> if you had the opportunity to, like, n- to get rid of that kind of memory... Why wouldn't you take it? Because that seems the thing like is, to rebuild it exactly the same is is that not? But I think and I think and you saw this. I mean, you would have weird. seen you would have seen quite a few buildings on tour related to the Nazi regime, which did survive, mm. and a lot of them were quite important buildings. So the reality yeah. of it is, a lot of the buildings that were destroyed or damaged war had a had a history far previous to the Nazi era, and I think in, in Munich because. Munich had quite a proud history of its own. And because it was the capital city of an independent state and kingdom for many years, that if you were to do away with all of that history and turn it into completely modern history, you would in many ways be removing Bavarian history from this society. And then all of a sudden, it's no longer Bavarian, then it's just another German city. Right. And in Munich, the concept of being Bavarian is very important to the people. They, they very much identify... Munich, not so much with the countryside, but they very much identify it as being firstly Bavarian. So when you think of nomenclatures of, of Germanic culture, you think of Lederhosen. Mm. Um, now, Lederhosen is very much a southern German-Austrian thing. You won't see that up in Berlin. Now, don't get me wrong. You'll see lots of men in wearing... tourist shops. You'll see yeah. lots of men wearing leather pants in Berlin, but they're not wearing Lederhosen. That's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a different thing again. Um, and, you know, when you think of big beers, for example, or when you think of pretzels, it's very much or a... Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest, exactly. It's very much a Munich-based thing. So Munich was very conscious of retaining that culture. I think for the city of Munich, too, because of the fact that it was so identified with the Nazis for so long, that they were very conscious of restoring Bavarian culture, restoring the city to what it was previous to that era. I would say I'd probably get some shit off Irish people, but it would make more sense to English and Americans if I was to say Munich would be the Killarney of Germany, where it, in whereby many ways, yes, Killarney in many ways. is like the shillelagh and yes. everyone's wearing green yes, and they're yes, like, yes, yes. top of the morning to you. Yeah, very and then going home and then cutting their arms with razor blades <laughs> because they hate themselves for being so 
plastic, plastic yeah, paddy. Plastic paddy, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, the hats with the buckles and the fucking... Totally. The white tights yeah. and all that shit. So they, yeah. they do that shit here in Munich. They do. They? I mean, they do. They, they, they do and they do advance. They definitely do advance that kind of stereotype. And I mean, you, you do see it in, in, in touristy things as well. You know what I mean? The thing is, too, but the people who come here, they also want to see us. You yeah. know, during Oktoberfest, for example, when I run tours, I run it in later boats. And I mean... It works in It works in people love it. You know, how do they, and you know the thing is, and it's good how do for they me. feel? With the girls, for example, that we, how do they when, feel? With female tour guides, when they run when they run tours of Oktoberfest with the with the boobies hanging out, I mean it goes down a tree. Right. It goes down an absolute tree, you know. And I mean I've never seen a girl who didn't look way. good in a dirty truth yeah. be told. But however, um the locals I mean Did they grab on the thing is you the leather hose and grab on your bits and No, they're, they're, they're very yeah? comfortable. Oh yeah, they're very comfortable. You went to wear you went to wear commando. You do. Yeah, that's what I mean. I'd Gordon, I would encourage you to get one. If only for the fact that. that you live a Halloween costume for the rest of your days. Yeah. Sorted. We will get forever. a pair. Yeah, you could. There are, they are, they are, they are. The thing is, I spend a lot of time in my jacket, I have to say. But he, like, when I'm editing and stuff like that, if they're comfortable enough. Like, it's like, it's like lamb skin. No, there's like I deer listen, skin. Hey, but listen, I, it's skin on skin. Yeah. No, I know about okay, you, but skin on skin always feels good for me. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Come here. So, yeah, enough, uh, enough tourism. We get into Hitler, because that's mm-hmm. what we're all here for. Uh, so, on the tour that you brought us around, you're showing us some of the, the bigger sites uh, that was associated with the Nazi regime. Uh, we're talking about the Beer Hall Putsch. We're talking about, you know, um, Hitler standing up on chairs and g- giving these, like, w- wonderfully impassioned ululations uh, u- u- of national socialism, uh, trying to unite all Germanic peoples of all types. And we can kind of hear in the modern day, like, this... this this word Nazi has been thrown around an awful lot and I think it kind of cheapens and weakens cheapen, yeah. what was happening um, but the what would you say the ethos is probably still the same which mm-hmm. is we need to get all the people of the same type together yeah. to fuck all the other people off yeah. because we're the best mm-hmm. and when you start doing that it ends up being a little bit well, there, 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 there's no little bit when you go down when you go down that road there's no there's no positive input. I mean, once you establish no. that there is that there is superior inferior peoples, then uh, you know. I'm not the, saying it, that the Jews don't do it because they only marry their own, and if you want to marry in, you gotta gotta convert. Everybody likes to keep to their own, yeah. man. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's totally. not a it's not a good think, thing. Think, it's not a it's not a great is, thing. The thing is too, and I mean, I don't but know when you're when you're actively keeping to your own, but keeping I think other people is, down. The untermension, all this. I think stuff, it's like, important to realize too that Europe, Europe before. Before World War Two, and particularly before World War One, you, you have a series of, of kingdoms for the most part, right? But you have Europe is essentially a patchwork of nationalities, and you know the Germans are the Germans were found all throughout Eastern Europe, or even over as far as Kazakhstan as the Volga River. They were all the the big populations of Moldova, the, so, and that's just the Germans. You know the Hungarians are also spread around. They're the all nation, all these nationalities are yeah. now. It was you know now we got the nice simple nation state complex where. Everyone's in their nice little kind of package, and the Irish, or the Irish are different because we were an island by yes. nature. But you know, on the continent, everyone's in their own little kind of little area, right? Yeah, and you get your little book with the exactly. colored stages. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you yeah. got your flag, and you yeah. you watch your team, you know, successful, glorious failure yeah. at soccer tournaments, but and whatnot. But with regards to like, you know, Hitler very much kind of seizes on on the idea that people are different, and he very much tries to exacerbate that. And you know, the Germans are the Germans. Jews are the Jews and the other nations, the other nations. And like you have it, you have this line drawn, which basically says that the Slavs or the Eastern Europeans are a lesser people. And your Western Europeans, French or British, for example, are the Irish. He actually had quite a bit of respect for Ireland because yeah. we fit into his into his view type of of your kind of 
Nordic, uh, Northern, Anglo-Saxon peoples. But we, also, we also had our own indigenous culture, which is we a thing that very they liked. strong culture. Very so strong if he's culture. like, if he's like, Hitler was like, if you're willing to roll over on your culture, then you're obviously not strong enough to to warrant survive. Your own state, or, exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you're not going to stand up for your own history, mm-hmm. like with the with, like we talked about the, the rebuilding of Munich and the perpetuation of Ger- Germanism. Mm-hmm. Um, is that not kind of what everybody's doing? Like Americans are all USA, USA. We s- fucking they celebrate like Paddy's Day in Trinidad and Tobago and you know the fucking the Spice Islands and shit. Yep. Like we're in there's lads in, in outer Mongolia is like ah, happy Paddy Day. <laughs> like they know what Ireland is and yeah. you wear green and you fucking kiss me I'm Irish and like that's that's a celebrated nationalistic endeavor. Mm-hmm. That celebrates quintessential Irelandisms, like alcohol, having a fight, doing it, and it's kind of a negative stereotype in one way. It's good in another way because it's like it celebrates our ability to spread all over the world and enhance culture. And like we built the fucking railroads and we built mm-hmm. New York. And we, you know, the, Australia wouldn't be there only f- for the fact that yeah. we were fucking robbing and raping yeah. lads in, yeah, in, yeah, 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 in yeah. Carlo. And it's like get on that boat, you. And then they sent him to a fucking continent eden paradise just to be just riding and making more like yeah. criminal babies yeah. like that's celebrating ireland as a national uh, entity but ireland's so what's also, wrong with that but ireland's also one of the few countries in the world not that i'm a nationalist have, i'm absolutely no, not nationalist. at all but ireland's also one of the few countries in the world where where you have this kind of worldwide recognition and and celebration of such a day and ireland's easy too because ireland was neutral because ireland is this easy like oh they drink beer they 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 they, they all say top of the morning like you said they yeah. all live in you know, they all... Is, we never oppressed anybody. We, well, we never oppressed anybody because we were oppressed ourselves for so long. So that's why... I think Ireland's a little bit different because, you know, you don't see you don't see countries celebrating, you know, there's very few countries, countries with darker histories, we'll say, you know, and there's there's quite a few of them out there. You know, there's no one celebrates Belgium Day and everyone loves waffles and chocolate, don't they? You know, yeah, but, but like... When we were in Amsterdam, we were talking to those guys and there's a lot of really rich people in Amsterdam who colluded with the Nazis, mm-hmm. who, you know... Uh, actively took part in extricating the Jews from the city um, who built their businesses and empires on the back of the fact that Jews were just taken up in the middle of the night and brought away and then they took over their businesses and now they're millionaires in the modern day and there's no reparations and there's no acknowledgement and there's no like there are certain elements that I think people pick and choose about what happened with World War II and say okay we're going to vilify that bit but this bit we're going to profit from but do you feel do you feel that Germany has been vilified because of the Nazi period? Yeah, I think unfairly yeah. so. Yeah. I think that um, it wasn't all Germans. It wasn't, you know, it was a bunch of people that had a certain ideology that was allowed to flourish, and they got in a small subset, got into power, told everybody true, yeah. really well crafted, and really like scientifically um, perfect methods, mm-hmm. propagandized people yeah. like they. We said in our Hitler and, and the occult episode, we talked about uh, the fact that Hitler made it a, a, an imperative that every single German citizen had a radio. Yeah. And they'd play music over the radio. Yeah. But the music was only just to keep people entertained in between the messages of propaganda. Yeah. And now we still listen to radio as a... Like, that wasn't a thing, you know? Yeah. And now we still listen to radio as a casual 
you know, uh, in America, they didn't even have, like, they had one radio per house. Yeah. And you'd all sit around it and they'd have programmed yeah. things. Nobody had personal radios. Nazi Germany was the first one to do that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you see, like, post-war 1950s Americana, where they're all, like, driving in my automobile, and they fucking had the car radios on, and mm -hmm. they were listening to tunes. Mm -hmm. Like, that didn't happen before, no. for Nazi yeah. Germany. Yeah. And that was Hitler going, I need to have something that people want to listen to all the time, and whenever I have a message to give, they'll take it. Yeah. Like, that's, that's... That's crazy that they would come up with that. Yeah. And then it'll be adopted by the very society that abhorred that. Yeah. Like America hated Nazism and yeah. yet took over loads of their, uh, you know, ideologies, foibles, science, uh, um, ethics, like mm -hmm. ethos. I think too as well, but I think, I mean, Germans, Germans had been a, Germans had, had also formed a lot of American ideas for a long time before 1945 i mean a lot of the a lot of the worldwide ideas german right? thinkers yeah i yeah. mean the, and the germans really did dominate the thinking world for particularly the 19th century in particular sociology was founded in germany yeah. i mean i mean genetics psychiatry. psychiatry genetics for example mendel and, and the and the peas in the pod kind of idea i mean it all originally granted now he was from the czech republic but he was also from the german speaking from the czech republic so i mean the germans are always very advanced in, in science and i think that's why when america comes through during the war that they see they see, and again, I don't know necessarily, I think there was aspects that were very Nazi that, that originated from them. I think there was also aspects that were simply traits of the German peoples that were then, like well, I mean, because I mentioned earlier about the Prussian armies, right? Yeah. And about how they control the state and they control the government and they control the army. Now, for your average middle class German, German, uh, German person, they had to find other ways to socially be mobile. So they became obsessed with university, for example, yeah. right? So they had these couple of concepts like like in inwardlichkeit, in inwardness. The idea basing that to, to learn from yourself, from looking inwards, to look into yourself, see how you can better yourself and then use that going forward in your life. And this was a huge part of German culture at the time, especially most middle classes, as a way of basically bettering themselves because they didn't have a chance to be socially mobile and, and attain the top jobs. So they felt like by bettering ourselves as a person, we can then better ourselves in society. They also had the building idea and very much the idea of learning a craft and, 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 and dedicating yourself to it. And this is actually seen in German culture to this day, where if you go off an apprenticeship, there's over 300 specific apprenticeships that you can get within German, within the German education system. Wow. Um, and these are all fully trained, fully legally recognized pretty much worldwide. Now, what are we talking about? Like apprenticeships? So like, let's say, for example, like in Ireland, you're like in Ireland, plumber, carpenter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So like, let's say, for example, uh, let's say related to a stage. Right. So if you want to be a light technician, that's a specialized apprenticeship of its own. If you want to be a carpenter related to stage work, that is a more focused aspect of carpentry. Now, you would be doing a general carpentry Ausbildung, as they call it in Germany, but you could focus on something more specific to that in essentially how to, for example, build stages to 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 the exact requirements, more so differentiating yourself very, from someone who builds a factory or builds a house. You yeah. know what I mean? And this is just to give you an example. So I mean you have a lot of specialization within Germany. So in Ireland, for example, I mean if you if you do if you do pass subjects all the way through, I mean it's it's I wouldn't say it's a death sentence, but it's you're, you're, limiting you're, you're very limited, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas in Germany, they kind of recognize that the other intelligence academia is... is not for you and you, yeah, can, yeah. you find your own path in life. Now, to bring this round to, to, to where we were talking about earlier on with Hitler and, 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 and everything else, I think that there was quite a few concepts that were advanced by, by the Nazis. And I think when America comes through too, I mean, every, 
every country that's ever conquered another country has also taken little bits of their culture back home with them. Mm-hmm. It's always been a part of history. You know, it's not just you're not just looting from look at England, like look at England. Yeah. I mean, completely. You're not just looting from a physical perspective, but also from a metaphorical perspective. Yeah. And like, what aspects of these culture can we be claim as our own? I mean, this is seen, for example, you know, with the Greeks, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. the Greeks and the Romans. You know, the Romans conquered Greece, and what did they come back with? They come back with all the Greek culture in the world. And Greek culture essentially becomes Roman culture, becomes bastardized over the course of time. So, I think with America, I mean, this 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 was to be expected. I mean, there is. There is culture wars often as much as there is physical wars. I don't think there's even like a, a cultural aspect. Like we're talking about, if you're talking about like culture and your, your inward inward thinking and your progressive progressivism when it comes to like how to deal with certain aspects of personality or identity or sexuality, like the Frankfurt School and the, the, the Jews that were driven out of um, a national socialist mm-hmm. Germany in mm-hmm. the 30s that went to America as a safe haven for for thinkers those guys those guys built a whole society through the institutions and not unlike you know uh <laughs> i guess we talked about the one conference like the yeah. the, the, the uh, protocols of the elders of zion is the mm-hmm. document that they that they scraped up now i'm saying yeah. this in a, a german beer garden and you're yeah. you're <laughs> it's highly illegal to talk about that shit around here but um i think that uh, like a, a reputedly fake document like the protocols of the elders of zion and something like the a- accusations put against these thinkers from the Frankfurt School that they wanted to have, and it's written down, but who knows who fucking wrote it down, that they wanted to have a long march through the universities to change American culture and American society for the better, in their opinion. Yeah. There seems to be another military, uh, industrial, um, I-, I guess ethical and societal like pop culture or whatever uh f- those four elements f- after 1945 were taken into american culture and they were massively blown up using bernays like uh, methods of sales and and you know like freudian psych- psychological yep. selling techniques yeah. and all this kind of stuff so like loads of german influence loads of german scientists like physically were plucked scientists and engineers plucked from a, a nazi regime and yep. implanted in america like it's more than just, you know, you're bringing home a, a few. Change, you're, yeah. yeah, you're bringing home a few old slave women, yeah. and they sing they sing a song while you're raping them, and they're doing the washing, you know, in the in the fucking side of the river, yeah. and they're all like, "Ah, oh, this is a song for my home country. Don't go too hard." <laughs> and you know, like that's a small little thing, but these are actual like high up dudes that were inducted yeah. into the yeah. into the government who would set forward a whole lot of things in motion that leave us with stuff like NASA exactly, now, yeah, that yeah, were yeah, completely yeah. made by Nazis yeah. like it seems it seems like Munich as a town wants to go back to the way it was before it and does. celebrate its it old Germanic does. roots it does. It not does. forget about Nazism Very much but so. like disregard the bad parts That's of it I think, I think you've actually hit the nail on the head there and I think yeah. it, it is a problem that Munich has Quite a bit as a city is acknowledging and recognizing the whole period and trying to find the right balance between moving on as a, as a modern day city mm. and also recognizing the role that was played. Because America it's a, doesn't recognize the role that was played by Nazis in their culture or history in at any all, way at whatsoever. Because it suits the. Yeah, the, the, because the, the association thinking, right? then with that. Tell us about some of the things that we talked about on the on the tour because I saw some really interesting stuff um, with uh, Hitler's early history, like mm-hmm. pre pre Czechoslovakia, yeah. like pre 
the, 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 the Lebensraum push. We were talking about his first public speaking engagements. Mm-hmm. He hit the beer hall putsch and then the creation of like the headquarters for the SS and all this kind of stuff. Tell us about some of the things that we might see on the tour if we have with you. So, I mean, and the main, the, the specific focus that I like to, to talk about on tour is very much the kind of the early days because that's that's the bit that people don't have a whole lot of, of, of let's say, recognition yeah. or understanding of, in particular, like, you know, how it kind of came to be or even his life before that. A lot of people think that he was just pulling the guts out of himself, painting pictures of Alsatians with one testicle. <laughs> like, you know, not being able to get the ride and just being a little withered handed. Yeah. Fucking strange mustache, one bald yeah. cunt. I mean, he 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 he's he is. It, it comes about slowly. I mean, he he essentially after World War One. I, I mean, he served in World War One and did quite well for himself. And it, but it was also the first period in his life when he's successful at something. Because up until that point, up until he joins World War One, he's twenty five years of age. He's a failed painter. He's he, he's a bum. For want of a better phrase, he's essentially a bum. Yeah. You know, he's not an educator. You're saying he lived in Vienna. He lived in, he lived in homeless shelters. You yeah. know, he, he was really he was down at the bottom of society. And when he gets to the top as well, of course, he feels like it's vindication. He feels like that he was he was sent from God. It was providence. You know, and it very much fuels him this kind of idea. But cocaine will do that to you. Cocaine will do to you. That will it will make you feel really good about yourself. I, I heard I heard he was mad on amphetamines. I was mad, but I think that was so the amphetamine itself was perverted. And perverted was actually. It's essentially methamphetamine. It's essentially meth. It's methamphetamine, basically. And it was, it was actually part of the rations of your German army, German air force, German soldiers. Had he got hooked up on it in World War One, right? There is a thought. Now, I, I don't think you. I think, I think it very much became. It was more so towards the later years. Okay. It was. I don't think. I don't think. For example, when he, when he's coming to power, I don't think he's hooked on it. Now, right, Hermann right. Göring was actually Hermann Göring, and this is a great story. Hermann Göring in the beer hall, but he got shot in the testicle, oh. and he lost the testicle, and he became addicted to morphine, which is why. Goring actually disappears from the party from 23 to about 27 because he spends those years in Vienna, nursing recover, his not in Vienna, excuse me, in, in, in Austria, in, in northern Austria, up in the mountains, essentially nursing his ball and, and nursing himself. And kind of, he's actually addicted to morphine for 20 years, which is funny because then he, the Americans get him off with a sugar-based solution. Oh, he actually loses a lot of weight once he gets off of morphine, yeah. which again is the opposite of what you'd expect from what my associates tell me. But well, when you're when you're in Austria, you're eating it. There's a lot of cakes. There's a lot of areas, a lot of strudel to eat. Yeah, yeah. No, but however, soccer, soccer tort, soccer tort, Kaiser Schmarrn, which is a good one. Love it. Yeah, Emperor's bullshit, as it's literally translated as. Um, but I, I, I think he had a doctor, the kind of a quack doctor called Theodore Morel, who I think definitely, I couldn't tell you what year it was exactly, but I think it was probably, I reckon it was in probably towards the start of the war, thirty nine forty. He starts getting dosed up. Now I'm saying that actually, cocaine was 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 a very common drug, particularly amongst Victorian England, the latter part of the nineteenth century. It was an eye remedy. Actually, yeah. an eye medication is what it was used for. He used for. to put it in bottles of Coke in America. They he used buy to, it for five yeah. cents. That's why it's called Coca-Cola. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. So, now, so the, do you think, just for, because I lose it if I don't say it. Yeah. When we were talking earlier on, when, when you were talking earlier on, but I was asking you questions, now you, uh, you were talking about um, Hitler being being kind of guided when he started in the in the party. We were talking mm-hmm. about how he got into it. He, he was in the party, he was guided, he was leadership and all this stuff. But coming towards like the, mid, the early to mid-30s, he was the top dog. Oh, he was a top. He was a top dog from the late twenties onwards. He, he, so he, there was he, nobody. Keeping there was no puppet stringers. There stuff. was. He was. He, he. He essentially. He brought himself into a position, and this is this is a solid. You know, six years before he comes to power, he mm. establishes a position where he is the unquestioned leader of the party, mm. and the party is Hitler. Hitler is the party. You know, there is there isn't that. That's why, for example, you know, there, there was no, there was never any anybody trying to challenge him from within. 
You, so what I'm saying is, because we talk about that more in a second, but just on the point of him being dosed up, mm-hmm. do you think that the, that he he started from nothing and overtook all of these lads, even got the, the leader of the Nazi party voted out and him voted mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. like within two years? Yeah. <laughs> and then he went on to build this whole big empire, massive army in, in contravenience of the uh, Treaty of Versailles and all this other stuff. He, he was making like t- t- hundreds of thousands, if not millions in the army. And then the crew he had around him, you know, were like, okay, this guy is class, but he's fucking mad. So we have to maybe, like, deactivate him a small bit and then, like, dose him up with a load of drugs and then tell him he's great, but then tell him some ideas and then let him think that they're his ideas. So they kind of, like, maybe delegitimize him a little bit by, by having him on meth. Absolutely. I think, I mean, I think the most fascinating, the most fascinating aspect of the Third Reich for me is the Battle Number Two, because it was it was constantly in flux. Mm. No, it was Hess for a while. Yeah, and then it was until touring, he, and then it, until it, Rudolf Hess parachuted into fucking Scotland. But there's a claim. There's a claim actually that Crazy, he he'd been, he'd been talking to Churchill beforehand. Yes, he, and that and Churchill the, essentially said in the back, you know. Yeah, which I, I honestly I've been inclined to believe it. In our Alistair Crowley episode, we found out what it actually was was Alistair Crowley and Rudolf Hess were both like high magicians and were fighting each other, and then. Crowley told Churchill to say to Hess, if you come to Scotland, uh, the whole war will be decided on a magic battle between you and Alistair Crowley. And Hess was like, yeah, I'll take it. And he parachuted in in a suit, a linen suit with loads of mad symbols on it. And then they were just caught and Alistair Crowley was like, you fucking dog. (laughs) And Hess was like, but you said we would battle like in the Hogwarts. It's like, no, no, you're caught now. Give us all your secrets. Or we pull your fucking toenails. Like, that's genius. It was genius. It was Hilarious. Genius. But he was worst of all for two, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you have the battle for number two. Sorry, the battle for number two. I mean, it really. And of course, the funny thing is, the man who wins it at the end is Martin Borman. Mm. But by the time he wins he it, it's a poison chalice. He, yeah, he got it's a poison the, chalice. The dead dog. Yeah, he did. He did. But I mean, he was. He was. He was probably one of the most ruthless of them all. Um, I think. I think. I think you're definitely onto something there when you talk about. You know, I think. And I think the the the, tr- the manipulation of Hitler from the underlings is 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 something that does happen. Once you get towards the war, and once Hitler's, I think it's especially pronounced from forty-one onwards. Once the kind of veil of, of invincibility disappears, you know, because in France, yeah. I mean, like you look at the first two years of the war, I mean, they swept all the forum. Yeah, and they literally did. I mean, Un- unchallenged. I mean, unchallenged. But of course, this is the problem. It was unchallenged. You know, Hitler. When Hitler takes over, they have an army of one hundred thousand. And granted, he's he's gonna he's gonna repeal the Treaty of Versailles in every way, shape, or form, but. With when he when he goes into the when he goes into the into the Saarland and he goes into the Rhine into the Rhineland and he takes over the coal fields and he takes over the steelworks again, no one challenges him. Yeah. When he goes to Sudetenland, and they acquiesce and they 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 basically allow him to have Sudetenland and you have the whole peace for our time and the waving of the Pacific. But did they not think that that was but, just the next lads coming the down the is, line but the after being is, passed from Billy to Jack? But all the, the thing way is, they would have if they had stood up to him, Hitler didn't have the capability at that stage to fight back. No, but like he was faking until he was making it. He, of course, and, but he was the people who were there. He was allowed to fake it. Were country. And, and the problem is as well. I think the, the biggest player in all of that period is definitely America. Because America, America in 1919 is, I mean, Woodrow Wilson comes over to Europe and he dictates what he wants. Yeah. And they are very much, they're the number one power in, in the world. They adopt a policy of isolationism and they just say to let you, you figure it out for yourself. And that in one of the ways, it is one of the factors that does allow 
the Nazi party and the regime and, and everything else that comes afterwards to kind of come together because of the fact that they're not willing to step into the breach, which is rather unlike America. And it's definitely a lesson that they learned from. Don't and tell Adolf was, the babysitter's date kind of thing. And it, well, I mean, when you look at the, the reaction after World War II, where America was made a very conscious effort to interfere, uh, interfere is not quite the right word, but yeah. make, sure, make sure that it, it turned out as, as they wanted, you know, which is your... Well, they wanted is, to make the money, man. Well, they're that's fucking, your well, that's your right as the, major, we get into this? as the number world power. You, you, that's your, that's your right. They were that's the, what they, America were that, was that guy at the back of a bar fight going like, oh yeah, just graze off me so I'll have an excuse to get in and jump in. And they made the most money, like, like America wouldn't be successful as it is today without joining in World War Two. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah. And knowing that Germany started this thing, England can't keep it under control. France rolled over, and if we don't come and take it over, Germany's going to take over industry. We're going to have mm-hmm. biggest coal production. They're going to have biggest steel production. Like uh, good clean coal, great steel, huge and. They didn't want that, so they were like, "Now we got to take these guys down, totally. and then we'll take all their fucking gold and, we'll and them, all the yes, shit." Yeah, have. and their scientists and their, like, their rocket makers. No, yeah. I'm to try and like vilify America as much as I am, but like, I I, I think there's there's two culprits in that. But war, I mentioned, you know? I mentioned, I mentioned, so I mentioned this in the tour today, and yeah. I said, I said, like, in fairness, the the, the Second World War is one of the last wars where we clearly identified the good and bad side. Mm. But and I mentioned there's a lot of gray. Area. The rest of them have been America attacking people. Well, in many ways, right? In many ways, now. Their big gray area is... But who, who, did, who did Nazis not like? Communists. Communists. Who does the Americans not like anymore after World War II? never like communists, communists either, totally. Korea, Vietnam, mm-hmm. fucking... Joe Africa. McCarthy. Like, this shit yeah. is textbook. Like, when you look at it on paper, all, like, uh, in two columns, apples, apples for apples, it's fucking Nazis that run America, and they're still on the same uh, uh, mission statement. Yeah. I, I think. Yeah, I think, I think in many ways they are. Now... Uh, America does learn a lot of lessons from 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 the aftermath after World War One and after the aftermath after World War Two. Yeah, and they kind of realize that, like, listen, if we if we're going to become the number one nation in the world, which they were at that stage, then you have to you essentially have to throw your considerable weight around. Yeah, and they did that. And I mean, I, listen, I think I think with the spoils of war, I, I I think there's certain you know like the mentioned this on tour, you know, the, the, the experiments that were conducted on the POWs yes, and in the, in the extermination camps, concentration yeah, camps, yeah, yeah. you know, this material was never thrown away. It was very much kept in use and it was a lot of what we know worldwide about hypothermia and, and, and G-forces and, and, and heat and cold on the body is, is directly related from this because yeah, everything you, can do we on, know, you can do it on rats all you want, but I mean, it's not going to be the same, exactly. the same results. As everything we know about sewing one person yeah. to another person against their will. Yeah. Comes from, comes and, from and that's a really useful science, and the Japanese as well, and exactly. it's really useful science. And if you're as moralistic as you want to, as you want to portray, then theoretically you would have burnt all that material. Yeah, but that doesn't happen, you know. Yeah, know and that's the grey area, and that's that's one of the grey areas, you know. Can you tell us before we go a little bit about just a little bit about the beer hot putch and the, the rise? Because we're going to do um, for those conspiracy guys, we're going to do a six part World War Two mm-hmm. kind of uh, a ramble down down history lane. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing that people didn't know. You, you gave us a real good rendition of what happened. People don't know how, uh, I guess, in, not influential, but like um, how performative and how, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, for Hitler? Like how, how enigmatic, charismatic, yeah. how powerful he was as an orator. Mm-hmm. Like, tell us a little bit about he had, how, he, what he, he did. He had the gift. I mean, he just, and, 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 and the funny thing is, is that he was... He was quite an introvert by nature. He he didn't have a whole lot of friends. He's he, he, Check. 
he 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 read voraciously. I mean, he he read he read everything he could about a topic. I mean, he was very dogmatic and determined about you know educating himself personally on, mm. on as much as he could. But he wasn't he wasn't the kind of fellow who went down to the beer garden and had, had three four beers and met friends and, and had a great night. You know, he he, he finished his day's work. He went home. He well, first of all, he didn't drink to begin with. He also didn't smoke and he was also vegetarian. Now, that explains a lot. But uh, so he's a straight edger. <laughs> he was a straight edger. He's a very straight edger. Right? Jesus, yeah, he okay, okay. And he was a Mormon. No, he wasn't a Mormon. But uh, <laughs> he was a Joe Seacrest. <laughs> What does he have against those guys? Like, <laughs> I don't like the way they come knocking on your door when you don't want them. Okay, put them to the camp. Go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I don't. He, okay, Adolfo, we're going to ban all doors. No, no, just get rid of them. No, just Jim Morrison. Yeah. yeah. He, but w- when he gets when he gets on stage, when he stands in front of the people, his his real gift, especially in the early days. I mean, you know, once he gets settled into power, it's it's a repeat of everything that's come before it. I mean, it's just. You know, he, everything he does in the early days is an experiment to see what works, what doesn't work. So by the time he comes to power in 33, I mean, it's it's a well-oiled process. Like, he knows the, he knows how to bring him up, how to bring him down. He brings him on the roller coaster of, of that is his speech. But he in was, the early you days... Were saying, you were saying in the early days he had the, the, the political and economic situation in Germany after World War One. There was a vacuum there for somebody with for a cult somebody, of personality. Absolutely. And we had a parallel thing in uh, Russia with the 1905 and then the 1917 revolution mm-hmm. where a communist party led by a godlike figure, again, some kind of deity figure in the in the body of uh, uh, Yulinov Lenin. Yeah. He, he was coming in, speaking to thousands of people at a time. In Ireland, even at the same time, we had the Michael Collinses and the we Jim did, Larkins. We did, we and did. Yeah. It was a time of orators. It, it was, was a time absolutely. of public speaking. Because there was a lack of media. I mean, what did you have? You had newsreels barely in yeah. 1922, and yeah. you had you had good newspapers. X-ray, I think, X-ray. I think, I think Hitler's, Hitler's gift essentially was to take, you know, you have, you have an awful, you have, you have a huge amount of, of military trained men come back after World War One, and they're bitter, and they're disenfranchised, and they're disillusioned. And they come back with no job opportunities, hyperinflation, with no money whatsoever. And Hitler's ability, his great ability in this period was to basically explain to them why they felt the way that they felt. And to put it in, in, in words as to the reason I feel so upset and he could tell you it was the Treaty of Versailles, it was the Jews and the Communists, you know, stabbing the back theory and the running of Germany, it was the Weimar Republic. It was it was X, Bad Y. Bad on both sides coming over here, taking your jobs. You can see the parallels. Yeah, you can. People say yeah. like that kind of stuff. Yeah. But at the time it was totally acceptable. It was encouraged even. It, well it was it was it was it was it was it was an era of polarization, wasn't it? Mm. You know, you have you have you have you know, it's also the communists have First case worldwide if you went to power within a couple of years. And that was a part of the problem too. In Germany, after the war, you have you have the Spartacus Revolution of Berlin, you have the Munich Soviet, which is they're both communist revolutions which took place in the immediate aftermath of the World War One in Berlin and Munich. Now they are eventually quashed, and granted both revolutions did did some pretty bad things. You know, they yeah. shot people without trial and and then but in saying that, I mean I'm sure the right wingers would have done the exact same thing in the same in the same circumstances. But you have this this polarization within within Germany in particular. And you have this, you have this left, massive left-right divide, and you have a very weak center. And of course, this eventually leads to the fall of the Weimar Republic and Hitler coming to power. And that was actually his the middle genius. class collapses. Well, he, he, he's the somewhere. middle class collapse, and he, he's also he's aware of the problem, the flaw within German democracy. Mm-hmm. Now, in Germany nowadays, if you want to take your seats in Parliament, you have to get a percentage of the vote, which is five percent. 
So you can't just run as an independent or run, yeah. and, and you know, you have to basically get a vote. And the reason was, in Ireland, granted, it's, it's, it's the same way. So like, I can run on my own, I win and I win, right? But in Ireland, it's, it's, it's small enough, there's not an issue. But in, in Germany at the year, if I were in public, you could have 50 parties in a parliament of five, 600 people. And yeah, you're basically, you're never same. gonna have a majority government. We were told that in the Netherlands as well, and, and we were talking to people in Berlin, where there's, uh, in all of these countries in Europe, there's these huge rainbow coalitions of, mm-hmm different part like in ireland it's two parties it is and they're, and they're, they're, they're both the fucking and they're same. both the fucking same people yeah. one of them just doesn't believe that mary is a virgin or something yeah. like that or some yeah. one of those stupid rules but like most of the time it's a two-party system america is a two-party system mm-hmm. england pretty much a two-party system uh but in europe they have these rainbow coalitions that have a lot of um concessions that they have to make to each other mm-hmm. that seems to make it an awful lot more balanced and an mm-hmm. awful lot less polarized yeah. now there's a rise of the right in germany uh this is in uh, direct response to merkel's kind of open door policies which is a direct response to germany's guilt over exactly. you know uh, uh fujis and people mm-hmm. coming into to germany like a hundred years ago yeah. and then getting like turfed out and gassed yeah. and it's it's it seems to be like a, it's oh, a legacy of guilt, isn't it? Exactly. You know, but, and it just keeps. But is it any again. good? Like guilt in a, in, a, in, a, in an individual is a very dangerous emotion. It very much so. Do oh, you know, yeah. like the whole thing about going to therapy or fucking whatever you're doing, like taking mad drugs or you know fucking even just talking with your mates and yeah. having a beer and trying to, it's trying to alleviate guilt from yourself because yeah. like you know, nothing is really anybody's like nothing that happens to you is your yeah. fault or whatever. Yeah. Like, how is it allowed to be tolerated as a country's mentality? So I think, I think, I think, I think it is changing. It is, it is changing at the moment, you know, because you have this this generation that have come come of age now in the last five, ten years that don't even have grandparents who were from that era. And I think, I think, I think the, the, the legacy guilt was, I wouldn't say it was a good thing, but I think it was understandable and probably a necessary evil in the first 25, 30 years. Because it was raw. But it was raw, but like... I mean, you but also, if, uh, like it's, you on, also, it's on the wall in Auschwitz, man. If we don't, uh, uh, this is obviously paraphrasing because I haven't got the wall in front of me, but it's like if we don't deal with the mistakes of the past, we're forced to repeat them. Yeah. So, like, if these people are forgetting and then they're looking at a lad on YouTube who says that, like, uh, fucking Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is a dirty socialist. And she needs to fuck off. Yeah. They're like, you're literally a Nazi. And it's like, yeah. you know he has a clue about what the fuck you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And yet it's still gone to nationalism versus socialism. Yeah. It's still at that binary opposition. But the thing is, but the thing is this, you look at Europe, Europe, most of Europe is socialist. Uh, insofar as, yeah. uh, insofar as like... Operationally socialist. Operationally, insofar as like, what their aims were after 45, the vast majority of them have been achieved. Yeah. You know? So when you when you, when see, you say socialism, we're talking about universal healthcare, universal healthcare, a education, state, yeah. education for all, a child education policy, a kindergarten, for example, that's essentially free for all, and that is that is socialism. You know, I think in America, for example, socialism gets misconstrued with communism. Yeah, well, they're, uh, they're, they're, some of the shit they're talking about is borderline communism. Mm-hmm. Like let's tax billionaires yeah. like 90% of their income it's like yeah why don't you just uh, put them up on a fucking wall and uh, shoot them all and then just seize their assets you fucking Stalinist mm-hmm. cunts or whatever at the same time other, but at the same time you have a situation like you have in Ireland where you have Apple who uh, don't pay their taxes don't pay taxes yeah. you know so I, th- I think again there has to be again it's like many things in life there has to be there has to be a balance uh, sought between them 
Do you think there's a vacuum now at the moment similar to post-World War One politics where the middle class is being dissolved, Yeah, a lot of people are feeling disenfranchised, mm-hmm. they're working their fucking hole off, mm-hmm. and they're not walking to the shop with uh, a wheelbarrow full of Reichmarks to buy a loaf of bread. But they're watching other people getting like little bits of this, little bits of that, and you know a lot of people on credit driving cars that they maybe can't afford, living life, being on Instagram, and a lot of people feel disenfranchised. They're yeah, looking for someone who's real talking, they do. They do. telling them what their problems, like Hitler did yeah. in the beer hall, yeah. being like, "I know how you feel. This is really shitty. You know, pick, pick yourself up. But we will make it better. Yeah? Dust, your, dust yourself off. Throw the right hand in the air like you just don't care. And I, I think that." There's a lot of parallels in society which drives people to look at Donald Trump, who I don't support, neither decry. They look at Donald Trump, he's literally Hitler. What he's doing is going out and doing what Adolf did in those uh, early National Socialist meetings, which is, I'm talking to the people, I'm telling them what what they think is wrong, tell them what they think is wrong, I'm telling them how I'm going to fix it, and he's actually delivering he's actually doing stuff so people are, are feeling that feeling that early uh, early 20s germany vibe and then a magic man comes along and yeah with flyaway hair who mm-hmm. says the right thing and then throws in a tremendous or whatever every so often and they're like he's brilliant and then three and a half years later he's delivering on a load of stuff people are like he's literally hit there there has been like investigations and all this kind of stuff against them to try and oust them like i don't want to say hitler had the right idea but if he was left alone and he wasn't surrounded by all these lads, they're like, let's make a lot of camps and fucking get rid of Jews. Like, if there was all those people that didn't come around and pump them full of meth and do all that stuff, he, like you said, he was vegetarian, he outlawed tobacco, he banned fox hunting, he was very, but the, but the he was very was, like, the, progressive. But the problem was with Hitler was that he eats, like, some of his ideas were batshit crazy. Yeah, of course. So one, no, and, and I mean, I mean, I mean that from a societal aspect. So one of the things he wanted to do was the Volkswagen, he wanted to offer every citizen in Germany a Volkswagen that would cost a thousand Reichmarks. Problem was, the true value of the Volkswagen was about 10,000 Reichmarks. And right around 1938, the Nazi number crunchers got in a room and they said to themselves, fuck, if we sell 60 million of these Volkswagens at a fucking 9,000 Reichmark loss, it's going to bankrupt us. It was just print more money. Would, that would have, yeah, and, and and the printing more money would have worked because they'd have taken over of new course. states and eluded everything else. But in, in, in now what America's doing with the Federal Reserve, uh, yeah, they don't arguably, have the gold to back it up, and they're arguably. like, I just want to build billions of dollars worth of weapons yeah. and fucking a nine billion dollar plane every four days. So let's just like just make more money. What happens when people come and try to cash out the money? Just tell them we have more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about it later on. Like, it's just it's just like it continued on, but mm-hmm. just succeeded. Yeah. Rather than being stopped. And the people that were stopped by were the people that are succeeding and doing it mm-hmm. now. And I think... I'm, I'm maybe, like, <laughs> hedging you down a thing yeah, yeah, yeah. to make you say something that you don't want to say. But, like, I know Hitler didn't have the right idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm look, I know, look, I know, I know we're looking at each other's naturally, eyes right naturally, now. Yeah. No glasses. Yeah. I know that. But what I'm saying is the parallels between what was happening then disenfranchised people and now they're looking for someone who's going to come well I think I think the problem is the problem is you have a vortex you have a lack and you have a vortex of a lack of calm stable leadership yeah 
and Angela Merkel is really the glue that's kept. I mean, she's and shaking, I wouldn't say she's out she's in front, shaking, shaking she's, like she's a shitting dog. Boss. No, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say she's she is the, not able. I wouldn't say she's the glue that's kept Germany together. No, but she's definitely like she's actually probably been the glue that's kept the EU together. I think so. Uh, very much so, especially but, with the Greek crisis and everything else. But why and bother keep the EU together if it's a failed project? Like it's a failed stage. I think. I think. I think. I think the EU has finally realised the need to reform. Yeah, but. I don't think the EU is a failed state either. No, what I'm I saying think, is that she has declared herself the Queen of the EU. She for the has last very much so. Years but whatever. the thing is, but the thing is, I think too. I think I don't. I don't think. I don't think Merkel is necessarily and an ambitious, like uh, an ambitious person who's trying to make herself out to be greater than she is. No, I think that she's been able to read the tea leaves and realize that there's no one else who's going to step up to the plate. So if she ain't going to do it. You're gonna have a the EU will essentially become a circus with no PT Barnum. Yeah, and she's very much the PT Barnum of, of, of the EU right now. And I think you have a you have a lack of stable leadership across across the world. Macron tried to do Mac- it about three years ago. He tried to step up and, and take over because Merkel was like, ah, maybe I will, maybe I won't. She wasn't really solid on it. Probably knew that some health issues were coming down the line. Yeah, and now she's out like she's standing in a fucking gulag, shaking yeah. in front of everybody. Uh, Donald, she knew that they, Macron knew that he'd be facing off against Donald Trump. He knew that he had Trudeau in his back pocket. The two lads were buddy buddy, and whenever they meet Trump, Macron would be like, "You know the cool cool lad in school who wears the jacket with the letter on it," and be like, "Oh, here comes Donald." And, and the tassels, right? and yeah, the tassels, all the way down, and like a fucking a thumb ring or whatever. He's like, "Here comes Donald. Look at go to put out your hand, and then at the last second when he goes to shake your hand, go like this and run it through your air." That's the cool guy's move. Like, that's what he was doing, right? Yeah. And then Donald is like, okay, fuck all y'all. And now Macron is being ousted by his people. They're burning the fucking streets down. The French are the best at protesting. Like I said, Merkel is on the way out. She's already seceded. I think she is. Handed back her power. And she, she won't, I don't think she would chancellor Germany for much longer. No, so she like, won't. So, like, that shit is falling apart. It is, very And so. visibly... And who's going to step up? Visibly, our straw-haired Hitler wannabe... That people are like, literally Hitler, like he's doing well. Americans are doing real well. Everybody's happy out, pretty much. For the most part. Yeah. Economically, for the most part. Well, I think the key difference is, I think... Is this a beer hall push? Like, has there, has there, been, has there been the push forward? The, the support is there now. He will go back in in 2020, Donald. Mm-hmm. Like, was because 2016... Because the good times are around. Was 2016 the beer hall push? You know, it, it, it could well have been. I mean, I think... I think the difference between Trump and Hitler is is that I think Trump Hitler had a lot more control of everything than Trump has right now. Yeah. Hitler, I mean Hitler 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 was so good, guys. He was so good. He didn't even need to give orders. Like they had a concept with Hitler which was called working towards the Fuhrer. Where essentially everyone knew what his beliefs were and you didn't have to you had a the reason the Nazis were so ruthless is because if you had an issue, let's say, let's say for example, you're you're Himmler and I'm Goring, right? And I go and I say, oh, Himmler pissed on my conflicts this morning and we've had a falling out. Hitler would go and he'd say to you, he'd say, do something about it. Show me why you're stronger. So you have a situation that develops where everyone is essentially they're they're, they're they don't they don't need to explicitly told what to do. They're all there for the advancement of Hitler's view or Hitler's idea. Okay. And I think as long as you were on mission, as long as you were on mission, you could do you could do whatever you want to do. You, you didn't even need to ask for permission. There was no you didn't need to go towards him. Whereas I think with Trump, I think I think there is definitely puppet stringers in the back. There's a huge pushback. Huge, huge. What Trump did in The Apprentice? 
Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was actually well, quite like Butchum today. We actually, you're quite right in that regard. It is very much like Buddy. It's a special guest here, Claire. Um, <laughs> it was very similar to what he did in The Apprentice. Absolutely. Um, I'm saying, who's, who's saying he's not doing that now? He started off with a cabinet of think, people who weren't working towards the Donald. And he was like, Bannon, do as you're told, you're gone. You're not doing it? You're gone. Yeah. Hey, uh, uh, Jeff Sessions. Yeah, you gonna do that thing? You gonna you gonna do it, Jeff? <laughs> Little Jeffy, you gonna do it, Jeff? No, no, hit the bricks, Jeff. Like everybody in his cabinet was fired within the first six months. Easily, right? Because he can't send them to a Dachau. Yeah. There's no like Dachau in North Carolina no. where you can just process people who don't like Donald Trump. But he did that like politically, sociologically, like culturally, made those people like un- unwanted, pushed them away. I'm not saying Trump is Hitler. But I'm saying that there's a vacuum of, it's a huge like, vacuum. from what you taught me today yeah. about how Hitler jumped in, yeah. took over a party from the dude who invented it yeah. within two years, yeah. and then fucking unified and ununified. Like, he's like Mance Raider. You watch yeah. Game of Thrones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the fucking Mance Raider of all the war and cunts in Germany just coming together going like, come on, lads, we're going to go over the wall. And it fucked everybody up. Yeah. And he had everybody behind him except yeah. that one lad in that picture across his arms yeah, when yeah, everyone's yeah, doing yeah, the yeah, salute. Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid to do the salute as a joke because it's illegal here. Yeah. Uh, some lad, what did you say? Got fined six, six thousand five thousand. Yeah, my year. hands are in my pockets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fuck. I can't afford that shit. But what I'm saying is like, Hitler was really, really good at what he did. He's very good. Yeah. But he was canny. But he was canny in a way that I don't know if you know, Trump is canny. I mean, I think Trump right, is right. canny-ish, but I think like. I think a lot of times with Trump, for example, I think he falls into things. He realizes it works say. because it yeah. just happens to work. And he's like, oh, yeah. Jesus, great. Fuck it, I'll use that in the future. Yeah. Wonderful, you know? He doesn't without, push without, too without, hard he's for not, things. Totally, no. He's not going in there with like, right, I'll try this. And if that doesn't work, I'll try that. You know, yeah. I think that... I couldn't I couldn't imagine Kim Kardashian advising Hitler. No. On anything. No. No. Do you know what I mean? No. I Number one, so. she's Armenian, so yeah, she's yeah, on German. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, get out Ah, uh, no, the European language, she, she probably would have been okay. Yeah. She was Slavish. I don't know. I mean, he liked the Greeks, for example. Pre-plastic surgery, she looked a bit savage. Afterwards, now she's very European. It's such an interesting time in Hitler's life, that young time when he was baller. He was baller. He was was like cocaine attitude, uh, big boots, and fucking fuck you. Like, I really... But in a way, it's an example of what you can achieve if you just say, you know what, fuck it, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And who's going to stop me? Unless someone actually makes a conscious effort to stop you, then you can kind of get away with anything. You know, you can, you can, there's, I mean, the lessons we can learn from it is that, like, if you go unchecked, like, if no one, you know, if no one ever says to in your life that, you know, maybe you should do it differently or maybe this isn't the best thing for you. And if you totally believe in everything that you do is leading you to a higher plane, that's exactly what Hitler did. We, we talked about Kanye West. Yeah, it's the exact same, you know. Like that mentality it's a mentality. It doesn't mean, it doesn't necessarily turn you into a tyrant, jobs. into a murderer, but, like, it turns you into an arsehole. That's what it does to yeah. you. You know, or at least a narcissist anyway. But arseholes get stuff. We all know that. They do, yeah. Yeah, they do plenty. Do you know? Yeah. We've all we've all gone through our mid to late teens with our dicks unsucked, like waiting for arseholes to get out of the way. But the thing is, arseholes don't get out of the way. They stand on a chair. They do. They shout stuff. Yeah. And then, I don't know, something, 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 going to get their dicks out. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, and then pervert and then... We'll make a soundbite out of that. Oh, that's yeah. like a poet. That's like a t-shirt. We, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> So uh, we're running out of time here and the, the, beer, the beer garden is filling up. The sun is setting and uh, Munich's getting ready for the night time. So, Ken, I just want to ask you, where can people find you? Where can they hire you to talk words? 
while they follow you around the town. Mm-hmm. Have you got a website? Is there social I haven't, media? I haven't got a website. I have. I have. I work on that. And we're, we're working on that. So this, it is my first year going freelance this year, and it's it's, it's gone really well. The best way to contact me is probably go through email. And you'll be looking at kevylong at hotmail.com. That's K-E-V-Y, uh, kevylong at hotmail.com. Uh, it's probably the best way to contact me. Um, we're going to be working on the social media influence in the autumn, once we have a little bit more free time than what we've had in the summertime. But i got to say, for myself personally, yeah, I, I would love to, um, if someone got in touch with me, if you enjoyed it, please please don't hesitate to uh, to get in touch. And what I want to say as well for myself, Gordon, it's been an absolute pleasure yeah, to, um, to, 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 to be talking to you. Absolutely. It's been a wonderful surprise for me. I found your first tour time while having a shite this morning. Did you? I was like, Magic. this looks cool, click. And now, here we go, from squeezing one out to... To, to here we are. Here we are. Enjoying a beer and an old hang on. Exactly. Yeah. And i got to say for myself as well, it's been, it's been the first time I've done something like this and I, I've, I've quite really, I've very much enjoyed it. So when's the podcast coming out? The podcast is <laughs> going to be coming out on the 9th of November. I'm, I'm, sp- <laughs> I'm spreading around fucking podcasts like AIDS, man. People are like, yeah, I did your podcast. It's fucking easy. I'm doing one now. <laughs> um, so K-E-V-Y-L-O-N-G at hotmail.com, kevylong at hotmail.com. And you also uh, do like tours. So I do tours. I do tours. tours. Yeah. I do tours around around Munich and around parts of Bavaria as well. So if you are coming to Munich and you would like to give me a call, I'd be more than happy to take you on a private tour for a, a princely fee or a, a duke's fee at least. Um, but no, in all seriousness, yeah, do please let us know because there's an awful lot of history in this city, and I think it's 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 been one of the. The center points of Europe, particularly in the 20th century, and even almost today. I mean, it's one of the wealthiest cities in Europe is Munich, and it's been a good city to me. And there is also, one thing I would say as well, uh, outside of the Third Reich, there's also a lot of wonderful history that's away from I was just going to ask you. you know, what because there is, the Bavarian history is also yeah. quite interesting. Oh, it's also fascinating too. The Ludwigs city. 1 and well, 2. Well, the Ludwigs 1 and 2. One, and, Ludwig and, Harder. And there was a 3. Um, but also, as a modern-day city... It's been a very good city to me, and I do like to kind of broadcast that on tour. We, you know, granted, we took on a tour which was very Third Reich orientated, but there it was is specifically there is, that. It was, it was like, <laughs> tell, I want a man to tell me about Hitler. Click, boop. and then I turned up. Yeah, some random fucker from the west of Ireland. Yeah. Oh Jesus, what would he know? But uh, no, it's been an absolute pleasure yeah, to be really on board. Much. And uh, this this is one of the the, the traveling uh, podcast or swapcast that we're doing for this TCG TV Europe expedition um so keep your ear out and your eye out if you want to see some of the videos or anything else that's coming up from this uh, little uh, endeavor you can go to patreon.com slash those conspiracy guys and uh, see all the videos and stuff like that i'm doing a live show in london in bush hall on the 6th of october uh, the link for the tickets will be in the description below if you're in london and you want to come and see me and slap hands uh, and say hi I'll be doing an hour of a bit of crack and banter presentation we're going to have a guest for another hour and then a Q&A at the end so you can ask me all the hard questions uh, like did Hitler have the right idea I won't give you the answer now because I don't want to spoil it and uh, I'm also doing a gig in the Cork podcast festival that was just announced today it's on the 12th of october uh, the tickets will be released very soon i put them into the description below but cork podcast festival uh, is happening all over that weekend the uh, 10th 11th 12th and i think 13th of uh, october so if you're in uh, anywhere around the southwest of ireland or you know if you want to have a trip there's loads of uh, affordable accommodation stuff down in cork if you want to come down and see some of the bigger acts i'll have a list and stuff for you later on but uh, all it leaves me to do is say thanks very much, Kevin Long, from all the way from München in Germany. And uh, it was a, a serendipitous and very pleasant meeting. And now we're going to have some beers. Likewise, Gordon. Thank you very much. Thank you.